My name's uh, Chris Brockway. I have the real joy of being involved in the leadership of the church down at Christchurch Baptist Church, where I've been for nearly a decade now as the team leader of the church with an amazing staff team and a brilliant bunch of people in our church family. I have one wife and I've got five children. I share that with you for context. It'll all make sense as I dig into my message this morning, where we're going to be thinking today about where there's ministry, or we might say where there's mission, then you can guarantee that there's going to be some mess. Well, if you've got a Bible with you today, whether you're watching online in your pyjamas, God bless you, or whether you've gathered at the church physically today, turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 is a a chapter of Matthew's gospel with various parables in it. It's a, a small story with a big message. That's what a parable is. And today we're going to be thinking just a little bit about the story of the good and the faithful servant. As we'll read it in a moment, you'll notice that the good servant did the job of overseeing the other servants and making sure that everyone was fed and cared for. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever catered for a crowd? You'll know that cooking for lots of people is hot work and it's messy work. I wonder if you've ever hosted a house full of people for something. I can think of so many occasions in my own life when I've said to my wife after people have gone, my word, why didn't we just go to a restaurant? Why didn't we go somewhere else and make a mess where other people would be responsible for clearing up? Overseeing and engaging with people is always messy. Where you find people, you will find that there will be mess. Oh, how I know that to be true in the church that I lead. Well, Jesus's parable in Matthew chapter 24 is incredibly honest. In fact, it's uncomfortably honest. It tells us that faithfully serving God will not always be easy and rarely will it be neat or will it be tidy. I so wish they taught me that when I was at Bible college. There will always be the temptation for God's people to down tools or to cut corners, to shirk our responsibilities, or maybe do things in a way that's less than faithful. Well, if you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to read from verse 45 down to 51. It says this, who then is the faithful and the wise servant who the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his uh, begins to beat his fellow servants. The master of that servant will come on a day when he was does not expect him. And then at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, I don't know whether you've ever looked at another person and thought to yourself, how on earth do they do that? Their grass is always mowed, their flower bed is always weeded, their car is always washed, their shed is always swept and all their tools are always exactly in the place they should be. Well, if that's not your experience and your grass needs mowing today, your weeds are growing around your flowers, the laundry is piled up and you've got piles of books and papers on your desk, Then there's a little proverb in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4, which I hope you'll find very encouraging. 
because it makes exactly the same point in a sentence that Jesus was making in Matthew chapter 24 in several paragraphs. He says it in a slightly different way. I call Proverbs chapter 14 verse 4 the caretaker's proverb. It says this, where there are no oxen, the barn is empty, but from the strength of an ox comes abundant harvest. The Chris Brockway translation of this verse would say this, a farmer who wants a nice, tidy place to relax in will have nothing but poverty. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 4 is this obscure little verse that I'd never discovered before until I stumbled it across, across it in my Bible reading plan. The message of that proverb is a really interesting and yet profoundly challenging one. It's God's way of saying excrement happens. It's God's way of saying that even though we might not want it and that it's never not much fun to clean up mess, mess is worth it in the long run because lots of good can come from it. Our God has a funny habit, doesn't he, of taking our mess and making it marvellous, a funny habit of turning our ashes into his beauty, a habit of laundering our filthy rags and turning them into royal robes. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 4 is overflowing with practical wisdom. No cattle, no crops, no people, no mess, no mess, no ministry, no ministry, no mission, no kingdom fruit is what you can arrive at from that uh, proverb. What it teaches us is that if you're going to involve yourself with people, the more your life is going to become cluttered and messy. But, and I think this is really crucial for us to hear, that mess need not necessarily be a sign of disorder. In fact, sometimes mess in our lives can be a sign of God's blessing. At its heart, Proverbs 14.4 is a rallying call. It's a cry against laziness. When you have an ox, you will have manure and a harvest. Manure and a harvest. Both are hard work. One less endurable than the other, but you can't have a harvest unless you have a mess, or we might say excrement. No ox in the barn, your stable will be spotlessly clean, but if there's no ox, then there will be no harvest. Well, we have a sign in our house, which is the contemporary homeowner's version of Proverbs 14.4. It says this, Excuse the mess, my children are making memories. Excuse the mess, my children are making memories. Now, if ever you wanted to see this sign worked out in practice, just turn up at our home unannounced. It's often carnage, and it would be, of course, with five children. And despite what you might think, even we church ministers are those who frantically race around the house, shoving things in cupboards and quickly cleaning up if we know that guests are coming. Of course, after the guests have been, there's even more mess to contend with. I don't know about you, but my life so often feels like a constant cycle of mess and tidy and mess and tidy and mess and tidy. And it nearly always ends in the place of mess. What we see in this proverb when it's applied to the church is this wonderful tension. It's the tension between the desire for the barn to be clean and tidy on the one hand versus the need to have a filled barn on the other. Now, I've been in local church leadership for nearly two decades now, and what I've discovered is, this certain t- is that certain tensions are always there, and in fact, they're inescapably a part of being involved in local church life. 
It's the tension between being inclusive or exclusive. Are we more like a rescue, rescue station or are we more like a country club? Are we a lifeboat or are we supposed to be a cruise ship? And then, of course, there's that tension between what I like to call in-reach versus outreach. Who is it that we really exist for? Do we exist for those who are already part of the church or do we exist for those who are not yet part of the church? Should we focus on bringing people closer to Jesus in terms of discipleship or should we be focusing on introducing Jesus to new people? And then there's that great tension, isn't there, between doing what I'm doing now, preaching the word to others versus the importance of social outreach or meeting the physical needs of others. I wonder if it's ever like that at Waypoint Church or maybe Christchurch is just weird. Of course, no church actually is immune from these kinds of tensions. They're regularly a topic of conversation within my church leadership meetings, and I'm sure they are in yours. And of course, in all those examples that I cited, both are needed. The secret, it seems to me, is to find that balance which both embraces order and disorder, in-reach and outreach, preaching God's word and ministering to the needs of others practically. When applied to the church, Proverbs 14.4 powerfully illustrates this tension between keeping the church organised and tidy versus keeping the church full and growing. Well, let's return to the thought of a farmer for just a moment, because I know for sure that if a farmer wants a sweet smelling, picturesque showplace of a barn, then he'd better not put any oxen in there. But the farmer also knows that if you want a full barn, then you're going to have to get some oxen, but you're going to have to put up with the mess that they're going to make. Just ask Jeremy Clarkson. He's had a go at being a farmer and he'll tell you that this is true. Of course, if ever you've seen a barn conversion, you'll know that clean barns are beautiful places. Praise God if you live in a barn conversion today. But if you think about it, the purpose of your barn was not for you to live in it. The purpose of that barn was not to be clean. The purpose of it was for it to be filled and messed in by animals. Now, of course, the best time of the year for a farmer is this time of the year, isn't it? It's when he's got to the end of harvest time and his barns are absolutely full of grain. For the farmer, this time of the year is their annual payday. But in order to have that big payday, they have to spend the rest of the year dealing with dung, which is, to be sure, quite literally going to be trailing behind the oxen. Now, I can hear the farmer's frustration in the words that my mum used to regularly say to me. Christopher, as quick as I'm tidying up, you're busy making more mess behind me. Now, I always said to myself that I would never, ever say those words to my children. And I'm ashamed at how many times they spill out of my mouth. The application of all this to the church is obvious. The end result of a growing, thriving church ministry, i.e. people being in the barn, is mess. Both physically, relationally and sometimes morally. But think for a moment to the alternative to all that mess. The alternative is that there would be no children or teenagers in the church. The alternative is that we'd have no pastoral concerns to deal with. There'd be no expense, there'd be no budgets, there'd be no repairs, no emails to send about COVID restrictions. There would be no staff to manage, there would be less ministry demands, there would be fewer of those exhausting uh, meetings that we churches love to have. And think of this one for a moment, there would be no more church members meetings. Can you imagine what that would be like? 
without people in the church, which of course is the church, there would be more order for sure. There would be less mess for sure, but it would be a declining and a dying church. You see, the only way to have a neat, spick and span, tranquil church is to have a church where there are no people, which of course is an absolute nonsense because our churches are not our buildings. In the daily grind of his work, the farmer needs to remember that his livelihood literally depends upon that ox, mess and all. He needs to remind himself that every shovel load of manure is a sign. It's a sign that there's a great harvest that's soon going to be coming his way. Far from being his enemy, the manure actually could be considered to be his best friend. I love to say to our church caretaker all of the time, who's got the most incredible uh, servant heart, Mark, would you rejoice in every single coffee stain? Mark, let's rejoice together in every single sticky handprint that there is on the windows. Mark, let's celebrate that scuffed paintwork because it means that mission and ministry is happening. And as a result, there's going to be a harvest. Keep on faithfully shoveling, Mark. The church exists for people. The church is, of course, people. An orderly church with no real ministry can be like an empty museum which is cold and it's lifeless and it's sterile. I praise God that Waypoint Church exists for people and we ought to remind ourselves that every piece of manure we might say, every coffee stain, every pastoral challenge, every broken window, email, telephone call, tweet, social media post, every struggle that there might be over car parking and relational challenge, every single building repayment that you guys are currently making is a sign. It's a sign that there is already or will soon be coming a harvest so long as we continue to be that faithful servant that Jesus speaks about in his little parable. At the time when that little verse in Proverbs was written, the, the ox, of course, was, the, was the, the equivalent of the farmer's tractor. He ploughed with it. He watered his crops with it. He harvested with it. He ground his flour with it. The more oxen there were, the more productivity that there was. It was a really simple equation. But the ox was also a massive source of trouble to that farmer. The ox had to be fed daily. It had to be um, uh, uh, taken to the doctor when it wasn't well. It had to be sheltered from the wet and from the elements. He had to be penned in so he didn't wander off and cause all sorts of trouble. And then, of course, there's the stinking mess. There's always a stinking mess when they're a cattle. Now, our family are the proud owners of eight chickens. And, you know, I love the blessing of every single day going out and finding three to five fresh eggs. Let me tell you, I love eating those eggs, but it comes with the price. And the price is that we have to use the shovel daily. Can you see the tension here that I'm trying to speak of? Dealing with the ox, dealing with chickens is worth all the trouble if you care about filling the barn and if you care about eating the eggs. But if what you care about most is the clean barn, then by all means, get rid of the ox. But the promise of the proverb is that there will be no harvest. Well, let's take a look for a moment at some of the symbols that uh, we might be able to look at because of the ox. You know, in turning to this proverb this morning, it's really important not to miss the fact that, that, that the ox has special significance in Scripture. For one thing, the ox is often used in Scripture um, as an example of what it means to be a servant. 
An ox wasn't especially beautiful or entertaining. In fact, the ox was awkward and it was smelly, but the ox was always useful. He pulled the plough to prepare the soil for the crops. He pulled the carts to transport the produce. He was used to grind the flour. He was used to draw in large amounts of water from the well. Basically, he was used to do anything that was too hard for a human to do. In biblical times, an ox would literally work himself to death. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul twice uses the ox as a symbol for people like me, people who preach. What a flattering image that is. Paul says that those who preach the gospel are worthy of their hire and they're not to be muzzled. Now, I must confess that the ox is not a symbol I might tend to use myself to illustrate the work of a preacher. After all, an ox isn't exactly the brightest uh, creature on the earth, is it? But just maybe that's part of the point that Paul is seeking to make. But the ox also in scripture represents power and productivity. Our proverb reminds us that there is much increase by the strength of the ox. The ox, if you like, was the ancient equivalent to the tractor, the pickup truck, the bulldozer, the crane, the electric motor. He was Mr. Muscle, all wrapped up in one package. And if that wasn't enough in itself, the ox also represents liquid capital. A healthy ox can always be sold for a good profit. But most important of all in scripture, the ox is often used as a symbol of the saviour. In the Old Testament, oxen were used as sacrifices, as peace and sin offerings. There's an interesting example of this, if you know the story in Judges chapter 6, verses 25 to 28, where Gideon was told to take his father's ox and do two things. Firstly, he was to use it to break down his father's altar to a foreign god god called Baal. And then secondly, he was to sacrifice the ox on a new altar to atone for his father's sin. So Gideon used oxen as powerful, heavy machinery to remove idols, but then he used the same ox to sacrifice to save his own father from God's wrath. I wonder if you can see how the ox represents those two things that Jesus achieved for us on Calvary. He broke the hold of sin and death that was over our lives, and then he paid the price by his own death by, uh, for our sin. The ox is an example of doing things that humans can't do for themselves. In a similar way, Jesus achieved for us what no human could ever achieve in their own strength. He paid the price for our sin in his saving work on the cross. I wonder today, do you know him? Do you know that Jesus has made a way for you? But then secondly, let's have a think for a moment about the symbolism of the barn. The proverb reminds us that where there are no oxen, then the barn is clean. If you take the barn as being a symbol of life, the tension between aesthetics and productivity. Let's think for a moment about your life and my life. Let's make some personal applications. You know, too many of us waste our time in life looking for a clean barn. We want a job that will give us fulfilment. We want a marriage that's just constant romance and bliss. We want children who will never, ever make a mess. I can tell you uh, that's a myth. 
We want parents who always give to us the things that we want. We want friends and relatives who are constant and reliable. We even want the perfect church with perfect leaders. But let me tell you something I've discovered in all of these areas. It's this. The clean barn is a myth. It's a fairy tale. It's pie in the sky. It's make-believe. All families have problems. All jobs sometimes are unpleasant. All churches have less than perfect leaders. Life is smelly. In the same way that bovine excrement always follows an ox, it's been my experience that dung, or whatever adjective you want to use to to describe it, always follows people too. Some people bring an awful lot of it with them. So I've decided something. Instead of longing for the clean barn, I've decided that I need to look for ways to fill the barn that I've been given. The point of Proverbs 14.4 is that a productive life is a messy life. The point of the the proverb is to press home the point that if you're going to make beneficial progress in this life, then you might just have to resort to accepting something that's a bit smelly and a bit messy, like an ox in order to really make progress in life. Maybe this week we can all make a resolution to be thankful for our messy tasks. The car needs an oil change, the dishes need to be washed, the the nappies need to be changed, the Lego needs to be picked up, the cereal from this morning needs to be scraped off the kitchen floor or table. There might even be some relationships that you're involved in that need fixing. Every messy job you have to do proves at least one thing. It proves that you're alive and it proves that you're living on planet Earth. But it's also a sign, or it can be a sign, it can be a sign that a harvest is coming your way, a harvest of some sort, if only you'll be a faithful servant with a shovel in your hand in the here and now. Let's go back for a moment to Matthew chapter 24. Verses 46 to 47 urge us to be faithful in these things that I've been talking about. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him being faithful or working hard when he returns. I tell you the truth, he'll put him in charge of all kinds of his possessions. Part of watching for the return of Christ means completing the tasks that we're given. The big tasks and the small tasks, the clean tasks and the messy tasks the task that our Lord has given us to do. That's the good servant. The good servant is somebody who is ready when his master returns. But Jesus says in this small story with a big message, this parable, that it will not be good for the wicked servant who mistreats the other servants and gets drunk on his master's wine. It says in very graphic terms, he'll be hung, drawn and quartered and he'll end up eternally separated from his master if he fails to take care of his master's business. I think this parable shows us how important it is to take care of the responsibilities that God has given to us. Sometimes those jobs may seem trivial or even bothersome, but we're called to be faithful even so. Oftentimes those jobs will be about dealing with the mess of other people, but the good and the faithful servant does whatever it takes day after day to please and to serve his master. The good and faithful servant may not always have a clean barn, but in the end he will have a full barn after the harvest. But perhaps the barn of Proverbs 14.4 is most powerfully seen in the symbolism of the church. 
It's human nature, isn't it, to want the church to be a constant sanctuary, a, a place of peace and tranquility and beauty, a community that's kind of wrapped up in bubble wrap all of the time. We want our services to be smooth and to be perfect. We want our facilities to be attractive and spotless. You're doing really well on that front, by the way, but just wait a few more years. We want the people to talk in quiet voices and always to get along with one another. We never want to have any relational difficulties. Well, if you've been part of the church for even five minutes, you'll know that that can be a myth. People, of course, are the church's business. Why? Because people are God's business. People will sometimes let us down, but Jesus died so that people could have a relationship with him, not so that our churches and our ministries and our programmes could always be neat and tidy. Jesus died for people, people like me, maybe people like you, who are often messy, sometimes loud, sometimes troublesome, sometimes broken people. But his grace is sufficient. There's a church near us here in Christchurch, Bournemouth Vineyard Church, who used to have a vision strap line that I always thought was so brilliant. It used to say this, Bournemouth Vineyard is the church where the imperfect are perfectly welcome. The church where the imperfect are perfectly welcome. It's a great strap line, which when lived out in reality, perhaps is the original definition, isn't it, of messy church. So we're left with a challenge. As God's people who are called to enter into God's business, which is all about people. A business that's sometimes messy and frustrating, loud and frustrating, frustrating and unnerving, unpredictable and frustrating. I wonder, did I say frustrating? We're called into that business as God's servants. And I know for sure that I need God to give me patience. I need him to give me long-suffering staying power, a good sense of humour, tons and tons of grace and forgiveness, the ability to like the unlikable, the Holy Spirit's guidance, and I need the sacrificial love of Christ. Do you know, I find myself nowadays praising God for every pastoral issue, for every stain on the table, for every email of complaint, and I don't get many of them, every time the photocopier breaks down. Why? Because it's a really healthy sign that our church is already harvesting or one day will be engaged in a great harvest. Do you know, I often picture this proverb that I've spoken of today, developing with the farmer coming home after a really long day out in the fields. The father comes in and he hates his work and he grumbles the whole time. He comes into the house still moaning at his wife. And I hear his wife say this. But dear, if we didn't have an ox, then we wouldn't make a living. You should be thankful that there is manure to shovel. Some of the greatest blessings in life come as a result of disorder and mess. Yes, of course, there needs to be order. But as you and I leave today and we go out beyond the walls that contain us, we're going to be facing the vast physical and spiritual needs of a broken humanity that's messy. And God has a funny habit of taking that brokenness and taking that mess and doing something beautiful with us. If we stop the entire ministry that caused the mess, of course, we wouldn't be meeting the needs of the people that God has called us to meet. The increase comes by the strength of the ox. Some disturbance is a price and it's a price worth paying for growth and for spiritual life. 
I wonder today, whether you're watching at home or you're gathered at Waypoint Church physically, will you join in as a faithful servant that Jesus spoke of? Will you pick up your shovel and engage in the good work that God has called you to? Because if you aren't already seeing a harvest, which I'm sure you are, there's another great harvest that's yet to come if we'll just be faithful as we continue shoveling the mess. God bless you all. Thank you so much for having me with you, albeit online today. I wish God's blessing on you as you continue to move forwards together as a church, as you continue to build his kingdom and see his kingdom come as a consequence of your faithfulness.